0: This is On and Off Your Mat Podcast Episode 8. Booty Yoga and Women Empowerment. My name is Erica, and I'm your host. For this episode, I sat down with Busy Gold. Busy is a personal development expert and serial entrepreneur. From yoga teacher to past life regression therapist, and with five successful brands, she helps people transform to create their best life. She also consults with individual and companies to build heart-centered successful businesses. Although we've never met, I discovered her through Booty Yoga as she's the founder and the creator. You might have heard of Booty. It's a blend of tribal dance, primal movement plyometrics, and vinyasa style yoga. After one of my first tries, I wanted to do the teacher training. Today we're meeting to talk about booty yoga and women empowerment in general. And talking about a community just like booty that is made of strong women who empower each other, this episode is once again supported by Atleta. As always, I really appreciate your support. So as you write a review on iTunes, you automatically enter our giveaway. For this episode, Atleta is giving out a $75 shop card. So if you want to know more, stay tuned. I'll give you more details at the end of the show, and I'll announce the winner of the last giveaway. One last thing before we start. We had a little bit of issues with connection and sound quality. I apologize in advance. I hope you can hear everything she has to say. Okay, enough of me talking. Let's get to it. I am honored that you accepted my invitation. I reached out to Busy on Instagram and just sent her a DM. I was like, hey Busy, I love what you do. I'm a booty teacher. I have a yoga podcast and I would love to interview you. And within the hour you replied basically, yep, let's set it up. So I was a little bit surprised. I was like, oh, okay, cool. She's in. And that was also a confirmation that you walked the talk. You didn't ask me about my stats. You didn't ask me about what was in it for you. I felt like you stood behind what you preach, sisterhood, empowerment, and lifting each other up. And I wanted to thank you for that.
1: Easy. I think uh, it's... With how big the movement of booty has become, especially, you know, online social media, I think it becomes easy for people to just assume that I'm so far away and that I put myself up on a pedestal, but I really don't at all. And anyone that's in the community, they, I think if they're willing to trust themselves and reach out, I always respond. It's actually pretty common, even if I'm in the office and everyone's at out to lunch if the phone rings i'll sit there and have a customer service call with somebody and halfway through they're like oh my god is this busy gold i recognize your voice." i'm like yeah how's it going and they're like oh my god you're a real person i'm not above answering a customer service call going to the warehouse and packing a few dvds i'm just like everybody else and i want people to know that if they see me and who in their head they think i've become every person can do exactly the same for themselves
0: Sadly, I think a lot of people judge you from first impressions, from your looks, from your name, from what they think booty is. And they really miss out because I think the common thread in everything you do is healing. Mm -hmm. And a lot of people might not get to see that. I know you've had adversity in your life. You've had loss. You've had trauma. And I do think those things make us who we are. So I wanted to give an opportunity for people to get to know you on a more open and deep level. My first question for you is... How did overcoming the challenges in your life or learning from adversity made you who you are today and what you strive for? I
1: think, especially if we look at the creation of Booty and how it's grown, it was born of adversity. Mm-hmm. I came to practice after I had a really traumatic childbirth experience with my first daughter. Mm-hmm. We, I was a hippie living in Hawaii in the middle of nowhere at a house where. The only directions were, like, left at the pineapples, right at the goats. You know, there's no actual addresses. So when everything went wrong in my home birth, even though we called the ambulance, the ambulance couldn't find us. So my daughter ended up dying um, in the womb, so in utero. And when she came out, she was dead, not breathing for 20 minutes and my husband at the time revived her um everyone told him to give up and thankfully he didn't he just had a one-track mind kept going and it wasn't until my dog garuda who was like faithfully right by my head um just not making a noise the entire 20 minutes all of a sudden he started barking and my daughter opened up her eyes and started breathing again turned pink and it was definitely a miracle but you can definitely People that meet her, and I would say in a lot of ways, Sarai's like a way bigger celebrity than I am when people meet Sarai and they're like, whoo, busy, you're cool, but Sarai, oh my God. (laughs) Um, She's got that energy where it's, I don't know another way to explain it other than like, she's almost like not human and you can tell that she's been to the other side and then chose to come back voluntarily because she was, she was really gone, gone. Um, But that experience is what started the ball rolling with the culmination of what booties become. And one of the things that I try to emphasize a lot is that in a way, I know that, you know, the way our business community is in the United States right now with capitalism and how you have to effectively, like, protect your intellectual property, not necessarily because you are trying to compartmentalize but more so that other people can't take away from you. And I think a lot of people don't understand and that concept and maybe perhaps in the yoga community it has to do with speaker room kind of giving that a bad name to try to like claim ownership where mm-hmm. in a lot of cases especially with booty it's not about trying to claim ownership as much as it is protecting what we do so that other people can't mess with it or give it a bad reputation so I digress for a second so in this practice something that you know we do all work in the community to protect and caretake I view this practice almost as a living, breathing energy that when it came to me, it knew what it wanted to be called. And I know that sounds weird, but um, it came to me very clearly what it wanted to be called. And the energy has been constantly evolving and is actually drawn towards specific types of people. And you can see that in our community when you go you know, to a training in London or a training in Kansas, it tends to attract these like-minded mm-hmm. students but it shows you that it has its own energy. And I really just view myself as a caretaker of the practice. It's my job to keep it with integrity, make sure that the people that are teaching it are the right people to be teaching it. And to basically just take responsibility for its growth, like a parent, but not that it's like mine and I'm trying to claim ownership of it. It's just, unfortunately in the world that we live in right now, if you don't protect what's yours, somebody else can use it against you. So it's not that you're trying to use it against others, but it's like, It just, that's the part that sucks. And I know watching kind of the whole keynote, Dana, Aloe thing online, which I tend to be very out of, it brings up the question, you know, inherently yogic philosophy and business diverge and they almost cannot be in alignment. Mm -hmm. So it's one of those where, you know, you kind of just have to... Do the best that you can operating in the confines of the way business works in the United States while also trying to have as much integrity and transparency within the company as you can, which is the line that I personally try to walk. Um, But I have talked about this before on a podcast, and it's definitely my long-term goal. I want the company to be a public entity so that everyone that practices can own part of the company, and it's what I've been working really hard on for the past Mm. year. I don't want to own it. I want all the people that are part of it to own the company. But unfortunately, again, in the business world, there's a certain place that you have to get the company to be able to switch um, to do that. But that's always been my intention. It's what I will do within the next year and a half year.
0: That's amazing. It's giving the power back as well to everybody and creating really a community.
1: It's what is required because the practice is 100% evolved in a collaborative way by all of the instructors. And their contributions, both in terms of yoga technique, dance technique, energy, leadership. It's a constantly growing and evolving organism that deserves to be protected because it's changed so many lives across the globe. Mm-hmm. And it came from me trying to heal myself after my really traumatizing childbirth with my
0: daughter. So, from your own physical practice after that trauma, came booty. Mm-hmm.
1: Absolutely. I went back. I'd been teaching yoga for a long time. And prior to that, I was originally trained in Anusara, which unfortunately is not really a thing anymore, but Mm -hmm. only because the leader of the practice decided that he wanted to have like covens of women and form a cult. Sad. It actually was time i think it was a very beautiful practice that had a lot of depth to it and i'm grateful that that's what i was originally trained in. I think you can see the influence of it a lot in what i do mm-hmm. um for those of your listeners who might not know on you Sarah, it's focused on heart and hips and making sure that you have you're balancing equal heart openers to hip openers so it's not like one energy is overtaking the other really focused on alignment and um yeah so that was my background and i had been Living in Hawaii, teaching a lot of hot vinyasa classes, 26 posture hot classes. So, you know, that was kind of to pay the bills, and that's what the clientele in our area wanted. And that's what I taught a lot, in multiple classes a day. And when I went back to teaching, which supported my family after I had my daughter, I remember just, I mean, I was also really, I had a hard time losing weight after I had my daughter. I gained 52 pounds when I was pregnant and I started off at a hundred pounds. So like an extra 52 <laughs> on top of that it felt like a lot. I'm five one for those of you guys that don't know me. Um, so I just felt like physically heavy, emotionally heavy. Yeah. And I went to teach these classes where I wasn't even physically moving myself. I'm cueing with my voice. I just remember feeling miserable and trapped and that, just something had to literally shake. Like I could feel that I needed to physically shake myself. And at the time, I don't think, I mean, I think I knew intuitively, but it's not like I had done all the research that I've done by this point on what shaking and vibration do for the nervous system, and that it is actually your body's innate response to try to shut off your sympathetic nervous system response, mm-hmm. which is why when kids will start crying and panicking, they like start shaking. It's their body's natural response to calm themselves, even though we look at it and we think that's not calm, and we actually want to like hold them and be like, "Calm down, calm down." Mm-hmm. The body response to attempting to calm itself is shaking and vibration so i think in my head i just kept feeling this like something has to shake something's wrong with me it just like i felt so energetically heavy and my daughter because of how long she'd been without oxygen was having uh seizures every about 20 minutes so we had to be very specific with how we were delivering her phenobarbital and she basically i just felt like i was one big nerve ending that at any point in time could just completely snap um from my own post-traumatic stress, but also just kind of watching this baby and being a first-time mom and not knowing the defining line between what's just a normal new baby thing and then what could possibly be a seizure. So I'm trying to keep it together, teach these yoga classes, and um I could just feel like kind of my soul slipping away for me. And thankfully my mother-in-law was is, she's amazing. Her uh, her name's Mayumi. She was a Japanese spiritual healer, teacher, very famous artist. And she came immediately to G&I and said, you guys need some external healing. This is, you know, things are not going well for you. And we did a bunch of um, medicine healing. And in that process, I ended up really seeing exactly how the body was not aligning in a way that it started off for of me not aligning in a way that really complemented a woman's body and endocrine system. Now the practice is something that is um, not at all gender specific, but at the time, and I think it's because I was seeking my own healing and I was a woman, I kept seeing what I now refer to as spiral structure technique in how I needed to move the body in different planes of motion with different types of deep core integration to reactivate my endocrine system get my hormones moving again, shake some sudden energy. And after I did this whole process, I went to teach my class and I was like, you know what? I'm just going to see what happens, give myself permission. And I did it and it was a fantastic class and my life's never been the same ever since.
0: For you, how is healing and empowerment linked together or in general, is there a correlation? Yeah. So I think empowerment's a word that
1: I think if we were to, let's say we were to pick 10 random people and we were like, what does empowerment mean? I feel like a lot of people, it means something a little bit different to all of them. But to me, I think empowerment and confidence are pretty hand in hand. But I would say empowerment to me is more like confidence of self specifically, not just like. I'm confident about this particular skill, but more like I'm confident and like I'm in my body and I'm embodying what I'm confident about. And to me that really came into my life once I had gotten myself through Mm -hmm. the adversity and then realized that this is, I can trust myself. I can trust my intuition again because that whole birth situation really crushed my ability to trust myself. Cause I really thought I was doing the best thing for my daughter by having a home birth. Yeah. So it's like all of that trust really went out the window. But yeah, I think empowerment to me is coming through something, figuring out who you are, piecing it all back together and learning to really trust yourself and embody who you are a hundred percent. That's empowerment. to me.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, just to come back to something you said before about booty and the name on itself. So the name means to cure Mm -hmm. something hidden or kept secret, right? Do you think there's something particular? It it means a cure that has been hidden or kept secret. So
1: it was used in reference to Ayurvedic herbs that were called Jadid. So it's, Basically, a long time ago, certain people knew where these herbs that were kept, you know, obviously growing under the ground, were kept. And at a certain point in time, as happens with everything, through any sort of kind of like capitalist endeavor, once people know where they are, they try to kind of like not tell anybody else where the powerful healing herbs are. So that was really where that jati booty came from. Something that's underneath the surface, people don't know it's there. And I, I find that with the practice of booty people find everyone what everyone's cure is is different but booty helps you find whatever that piece
0: of yourself was missing or not integrated but so mm-hmm. you can feel. Sure. And how do you think it does that? Is it just from the physical practice or is there more to it? I think there's a lot more to it. I think some of it absolutely has to do with the physicality of the practice, but I
1: think it's the physicality matched with what we were talking about before that spiral structure technique, how we're engaging the core how we're moving the body through different planes of motion while also activating the endocrine system and thus the chakra system at the same time. But I also think a lot of that healing comes into play with how we set up the community. So we, as you know, we really focus on talking about core values and what's expected from instructors in the environment that they're trying to cultivate. Because I think part of this process is creating a really safe space for students to actually move through this stuff and feel safe with the integration process. Because the integration process doesn't always look pretty. Mm -hmm. Sometimes people are crying in class. Sometimes people are yelling. Sometimes people swear. Sometimes people have, you know, laughing fits. That's what happens when you start moving kundalini. So I think women and men in class knowing that this is a space where no one is judging, no one's looking at you trying to be competitive with your asana. Everyone here genuinely wants to see you win and succeed and support you in that, whatever that looks like. And by the way, I think this is another thing. And I wrote um, an article on our booty Yoga blog called Growth Sucks. And it talks all about how for a lot of people, when they start to exhibit a lot of positive change and transformation, a lot of their existing friends and family will kind of turn on them in an effort to make them somehow feel shameful about their transformation when really what they're experiencing is that now they're mirroring back some sort of deficit to their friends where they're like, God, if you were able to do this, I always viewed myself as just like you. But now that you've come through this, now I can see so much more deficit or things that I need to work on in myself. Mm-hmm. So they'll try to chip away at you to see if they can get you to be the way you used to be. Or in many cases, you end up having to kind of lovingly disconnect from that person until they can come back to be a positive source in their life. So I think one of the things that we do in class is we try to create this environment where everyone's very focused on personal growth, spiritual growth, energetic growth, so that everyone's moving together collectively and supporting wherever anybody is going instead of getting jealous and trying to chip away at someone's progress. Then mix that with all of the shaking and vibration that actually helps calm the nervous system, which for a lot of people is doing a lot of harm with their overall emotional well-being. I think you've got kind of a winning combination there.
0: It's great how this community is really about connection and supporting each other instead of competition, especially online. People are really supportive. Whether it's in a booty class or some of your speaking engagement or through the break method, which I haven't really talked about, but I see a lot of body love or body positivity come up. What Mm -hmm. has been your relationship to your body and how did that influence you?
1: Great question.
0: I think you know, your
1: mental state in the moment is always influenced by kind of what's currently going on in your body. I think if I were to objectively look back, let's say, at pictures of the times that I felt worse about myself, I probably look fine, right? This is the body dysmorphia conversation. Mm -hmm. So now that I've been practicing booty for, what, what are we at, like eight years now, and the way I eat is very specific in the way that, I found that I'm really allergic to grains and dairy but other than that like I have the least restrictive diet ever I got diagnosed with lupus when I was 23 which I know we didn't really glance on but I got diagnosed with lupus actually before I even got pregnant with my daughter Mm -hmm. and that was when I ended up going grain-free dairy-free totally changing my life in terms of how I was eating because I think before that I definitely had a lot of the body dysmorphia on top of like bordering on eating disordered behavior, where I just was constantly obsessed with how it looked, and I never felt skinny enough. I never felt muscular enough. But looking back on it, like, was I really having problems? No, I was having psychological problems. Um, But at this stage in my life, since finding booty and finding that, you know, opportunity to be around other people that support me and I feel comfortable in my skin, you know, as a woman, when you're within a week of your period, you look drastically different than you do the other three weeks of your life. And I remember being so obsessive about that like 10, 15 years ago. I'd be like, oh my God, I can't put on a bikini. I would never even think about that now. In a beauty class, I show up, as everybody knows, pretty much half naked, not to show off or any provocative thing but more just because I genuinely feel comfortable in my skin and with my cellulite whether I have my period or not I just feel comfortable being myself and showing up now and to me that it comes with obviously that comfortable community where you can kind of explore this because it is something that I think for a lot of people requires exploration based on culture geography we're kind of taught not to brace our bodies you know, skin is bad. Skin means you're being a slut, and I actually drastically, you know, I disagree strongly with all those things. But I think having the booty community be supportive in my exploration of this, while also getting healthy again and getting my mind right, I it's hard when I look back. And I remember those moments of thinking like I'm not skinny enough, or like I can't even put on a bikini. But it feels like such a drastically different person that I remember the pain. But I can't imagine a mental state in which I would ever think that now. So I think where it gets a little, where the body love thing to me gets a little tricky, especially right now, is that there seems to be this, this clear divide where loving your body has to mean staying exactly where you are now and not wanting to change anything, which doesn't make a lot of sense to me because human beings are always naturally going to be in a state of change, right? Mm-hmm people will have uh, reactions to their environment. Maybe all of a sudden they move to a new house and there's mold and then your body starts to change. Change is inevitable in the human body. And I feel like there's this movement that has kind of popped up where desiring any sort of physical transformation for yourself, even if it's just purely to have you know less physical symptoms, like I don't want to be fatigued anymore. I don't want to be covered in a rash anymore. All of a sudden then you're not body positive because you want to change your body. So I feel like there needs to be a deeper conversation about, which is something that I talk a lot about in beauty, the pillars of transformation, the feel, think, look philosophy. I think it's critically important to have love for yourself exactly where you are now, no matter how you perceive yourself in that moment, even if you feel like you're, the ugliest person on the face of the planet, you have to find love for yourself in that moment because when you find that love for yourself, it starts to positively influence the decisions that you make and then you're actually able to push the needle forward in your transformation. So I don't think that body love needs to be like, I love my body, therefore I'm going to keep it exactly the way I am. To me, Mm -hmm. body love and body positivity is treating your body with respect, moving instead of, you know, working out and punishing yourself, like having some sort of movement practice that celebrates, your movement, eating without punishing yourself and restricting, but still trying to push needle forward toward optimal health—not too skinny. Conversation that I think needs to be had more on.
0: Yeah, health versus skinny. Yeah, totally. Mm-hmm. And that it's
1: okay to eventually, eventually, you're going to lose weight. That's weight gain is a symptom of something. Either inflammation, you can do, it, you can have weight gain from bloating. There are a variety of ways that you gain weight, but human beings are not meant to be encumbered with tons of weight beyond their body's natural stature. So it's one symptom that you can track to try to push go forward. And I've seen a lot of, you know, back and forth on Instagram, especially that again, I try to stay out of where certain people who kind of built their career on body positivity and body love end up getting criticized and losing followers. God forbid they lose any weight at all. When, if they're moving consistently, they're eating healthy and they're loving themselves, you will naturally lose weight. That's just, that's how it works. I don't think that that's something that should necessarily be looked at negatively.
0: Hmm. I think it's the angle or the the intention you have. If your intention is health and things will change in a different way, that if your intention is beating yourself up to be skinny, it will not happen the same way. It will not look the same way and will not feel the same way.
1: I agree. And I think there more people need to be able to have those conversations because I think right now people are so paralyzed with fear that if they say one thing that doesn't completely match with like your left or right viewpoint, that somehow you're going to get attacked on social media. And I would just love to encourage people to not be so afraid to have those conversations anymore.
0: Mm-hmm. Okay. I want to switch gears a little bit and talk about break method a little. I've heard you say many times, you don't have to suffer through life. And so I wanted to ask you, what are the most common limiting belief you have students or clients or people around you come up with that brings them suffering? And what's your approach? If you can explain a bit, what is Break Method through that? So
1: let me try to, let's touch on the suffering thing first. Okay. So I think a lot of people, and I know I wrote a post about this the other day on Instagram, but a lot of people, in my opinion, confuse pain and suffering and think that they're the same thing. Mm-hmm. To me, suffering is the act of continuing to relive the painful stimuli. So whatever the pain is that sets something off that makes you feel something, whether let's say on the emotional spectrum, it's, you know, fear or shame. The pain is the initial stimulus, Mm -hmm. but the suffering is continuing to have that pattern in your brain where you're reliving the painful moment or constantly letting your brain either go back or repeat the same type of instance that brings that painful stimulus back into your life.
0: Makes sense. I
1: think for a lot of people suffering is
0: in certain
1: ways self-inflicted and I'm not saying that people necessarily know that they're doing it or know, know how they're doing it or most importantly, know how to stop it, which is what break does is it teaches you how to isolate what that message that has gotten into your brain and body through that initial pain stimulus and how you are continuing to replay this act of suffering all the time in your life.
0: Is it the way you so react just, to the original pain? So
1: yes, often, whatever I, the way I usually describe it is whatever happens to you at the highest frequency, typically between the ages of zero and let's say 12 or 13, whatever type of stimuli, emotional response happens with the highest frequency, your body essentially becomes chemically patterned with an addiction to that stimulus and response. And this can happen... In a few different ways. So by the end of break, typically people have arrived at whether or not they have a simple cycle or a complex cycle. The way I typically describe it is when people look at their emotional addiction cycles, and we kind of go at it from a variety of different angles in break to make sure that we're getting the right information and we're not just shooting in the dark and assuming that our first guess is correct. Um, I like people to work out from multiple angles so that by the end, we're certain. So in the beginning, we start off with what we call a hypothesis. And then by the end, we actually have a conclusion that we've come to through multiple attempts to prove ourselves wrong. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that I pride myself on in the program is that I'm not so quick to just say like, okay, hey, that sounds right. We'll go with that. We try to poke holes in our own argument multiple times to make sure that we're giving people the information that they really need, mm-hmm. not just what's seems like the right fit because that's not going to help them long term and though it takes longer it's much more useful and sustainable long term for that individual so going back to the simple and complex cycles some people and without trying to pack four months work into one podcast interview so I'll try to like fill it down as much as I can some people have that initial pain response and let's say in this case we'll do a hypothetical scenario this pain response is that Um, either one or both the parents is constantly flying off the handle. The child never has any idea what to expect from them. They would describe their childhood as always having to walk on eggshells, not know what's going to happen, right? So let's say for this person that their initial response to the pain is fear because they don't know what to expect. Mm -hmm. If this person has the ability to try to go up into a, without bringing too much shock or diagnosis into it, Certain children will go up to try to understand the scenario or the behavior as an adult instead of to just stay in their age-appropriate mind and be like, well, mommy and daddy are scary. Like, I'm going to go play with toys. Some kids actually go up to a more adult intellect to try to understand and keep themselves safe. So that person would go from this pain response to a protective response. And unfortunately, what happens for somebody with a complex cycle is that they have their initial response to the pain. Then they've got their protective response, which is their brain trying to figure out from an adult perspective how to avoid the painful stimulus. Like, how can I work around having to deal with my parents' freakouts because I can't even figure out what I'm doing to elicit this response? But often because we're kids and we don't choose our parents, and we can't control our environment, there usually comes, and this is a little bit more crass, but I usually call the last stop the fuck it response, which is the first one, I can't, there's nothing I can do. I'm not trying to listen this. I'm just feeling pain. Now I'm trying to protect myself, which usually looks like anxiety or worry or paralysis. Mm-hmm. And then the fuck it response is often anger or resentment or overwhelm or sadness, because they realize no matter how much they try to get around it or avoid it, It's completely out of their control. So with some of the complex cycle, they would have whatever emotion would be in that kind of pain category, then they'd have a protective category one, and they'd have a bucket category one. Um, And then somebody that has a simple cycle, they would have stayed in that kind of age appropriate mind, not tried to really reason like an adult. And often they go actually right from pain to the bucket. So it might go fear to shame, right? Maybe, like, they're scared and then the parent does them and then they immediately are like, I'm very bad, I'm a bad person, even though they mm-hmm. don't really realize what they did. Does that make sense? hmm So, in those scenarios, most people, I would say the vast majority of people that come through break, they usually have complex cycles and whether or not those complex cycles seem to be as they aged a little bit or whether they exist in childhood depends from person to person. But once we look at these cycles, let's say, again, the one... Fear, to anxiety, to anger, that's a really common one because you get scared, you go up to anxiety trying to figure out what things you can do to avoid it. And then when you can't avoid it, despite your best efforts, then you're just pissed. That person, probably in their adult life, anger is going to be something that they would put on the top three, like most felt emotions, right? Anger is going to be something that they really resonate with because they've probably built a life to avoid any of these other things but they actually carry all of these childhood issues with them in their own mind. And they usually let their own mind attack them all day long, which is one of the things that we work with and break.
0: Mm
1: -hmm. Some people, some people recreate their childhood problems with actual physical people in their lives. And then some people bring their problems with them in their head and they let their inability to respond to their actual environment do their dirty work. So these people would be constantly jumping to conclusions in the future, they have no control over making assumptions about people's body language and basically putting the past of characters in childhood into their current environment, even if objectively those types of people are not really present.
0: So there's booty, there's break method. And I know you also have other things. You have a clothing line. All that to say you're a successful entrepreneur. And I've read before that you pride yourself on growing heart-centered businesses And I wanted to know, what does that mean to you? And if you have any tip for women out there that struggle to balance, you know, their inner tycoon and that heart aspect of it?
1: So I think one influences the way you start the business. And then the other Mm -hmm. influences kind of how you grow it and market the business. I'll start with how you start the business. And on my um, Busy Gold website, there's a I have a podcast episode that I did that was based on a lecture that I taught at a fitness symposium called How to Stay in Your Lane and Love It. I think that's a great starting place mm-hmm. for a lot of female entrepreneurs where instead of just deciding... I just want to be rich or I just want to have a business. Being a heart-centered entrepreneur has to start with something that you're genuinely passionate about because that's going to inherently influence all of your decision making from that point forward. If you're just doing something because it seems like the path of least resistance or because somebody else that you admire is doing it and you want to do it to like them or you just want the money or the Instagram fame, it's going to be borderline impossible to have that heart-centered approach because it's not in your heart to begin with. So it needs to start from something that you're deeply passionate about. Also because starting a business is so challenging and so taxing on your body. If you have a family, it's going to take a toll on your family. You have to be willing to be so passion-driven that you're able to push through the really challenging times because there are plenty of times that you're going to want to quit. And you have to be so motivated by why your heart wanted to do it in the first place that you're able to push through. I've had to do that multiple times over. There are many occasions where I have to talk myself off the ledge and be like, don't quit, don't quit, don't quit. It's fine. There are so many people whose lives <laughs> are changing, you know, and uh, that's normal. I think that's just, that's part of owning a business. Sometimes it gets really exhausting and it feels thankless. But you've got to remember why you did it in the first place and keep going. The other aspect of the heart center thing has to do with, I think how you bring the business to market, how you market your product. For example, a lot of people are just like constantly hammering email marketing and, you know, like sale here, coupon code here, flash sale. We do the bare minimum. And what we do literally is demanded by people. They're like, don't, are you guys ever going to do a promotion? I want to make sure that if we're communicating with you guys through email, there's some sort of like purpose and we're offering you some sort of deeper meaning. I don't, I don't ever want to take the the position of just like becoming a business that's like constantly marketing. In fact, with our business, I have had so many offers from other companies to come in and take over certain parts of the marketing. I would much rather have a smaller, more devoted customer base than this huge, broad, completely uninvolved customer base. Because to me, our Mm. community is really everything. And I'd rather make sure that even if our marketing messaging or when we run a Facebook ad, it's not the traditional way to do it. It's not like, well, that's not going to get the most customers. I'm not going for the most customers. I'm going for the right people. I want to reach the people that are trying to find me, not everybody else, and try to convince them why I'm for them. Um, so to me, that's where that heart center piece comes at. I think because I'm not... None of any of the people in our office, like, none of us are just doing it for the money. Every single one of us in this headquartered office, we practice together. We love each other. Every single person here is certified in booty. And we're all doing this because we believe in the practice, not because we're all just, like, obsessed about a paycheck. Um, so I think the heart center also has to influence how you're interacting with employees and how you're hiring and all of that.
0: Great. Okay. One more question before we wrap up. I wanted to ask you, you mentioned your kids before What's the biggest lesson being a mom, taught you? I've learned a lot of lessons (laughs) with my kids.
1: Um, I think the biggest lesson is to, and it sounds so cheesy, so even as I'm hearing it in my head, I'm like, this is really cheesy. But um, it's to really be present. It's so easy with how much I work and how much I have to travel with and the kids that I find myself at work. Having mommy guilt and being like, I miss my kids so much that I'm not focused on work. But then I'll go be with my kids. And because I was focused on missing them, then when I'm with the kids, I'm focused on work. So it's like this, you know, just nightmare of not being constantly have to remind myself when I'm in one place or the other to just really be 100% present. Anytime I catch my mind drifting off to something that's not physically in my space right now, I have to just shut it down and go back to what I'm doing because you end up missing out on both. I think really teaching myself how important it is to stay present so that you can have both lives because they are challenging to try to integrate. But that's the biggest lesson that I've learned for sure.
0: That's a good lesson. Um, do you have any last tips for a listener before we end? If there's one thing you want people to take away from this conversation, what would it be?
1: I think the thing I find myself speaking about the most, especially to the yoga community, is to... There's so many people out there right now that have a platform and have an amplified voice. And I think it's really important to listen to your gut when you're looking for people to, you know, follow or to be a big influence in your life. There's so much that is carefully crafted and curated right now that I don't think genuinely there to help people move the needle forward. And just remember that a lot of those people, they're no better than you If they try to present themselves as being some sort of a guru or up on a higher platform than you or a pedestal you'll never reach, I would immediately be worried. I always want Mm -hmm. and hold the intention for all of my students to eventually be better than me at everything that I do. And if the leader that you're looking to doesn't hold a similar type of space for you, then I'm not so sure what you're doing. So just, you know, don't be so distracted by shiny objects that you let yourself, fall victim to basically like a a false leader because there are just so many out there right now listen with your gut and if that person if you don't actually feel like that person wants to truly rise into the power maybe maybe turn the other way and try to find somebody that wants to be your peer not your guru
0: good tip um i'll put all your info in the show notes but if people want to connect with you or work with you what's the best place for them to go so
1: I'm pretty active on my Instagram DMs at Busy Gold, B-I-G-I-G-O-L-D, as you know. Um, that's a great way to get in touch with me, but also just my BusyGold.com website. And then if people are interested in learning more about Break Method, it's BreakMethod.com. And then, of course, if you're listening, you've never tried booty yoga, B-U-T-I-Y-O-G-A.com.
0: Awesome. Um, I want to thank you so much for your time. It was really a pleasure chatting with you today. Thank you so much. You asked amazing questions and I'm excited to listen to this back. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening and sticking with us until the end. We have other great guests coming up, so make sure to subscribe. Now, if you want to make my day and you want your chance to win a $75 shop card from Atleta, all you have to do is head on to iTunes or go on your podcast app on your phone and write a review. As you write your review, you automatically enter the giveaway. You don't have to do anything else. And I will announce the winner on the next episode. If you're newer to reviews, check out the show notes or go to my website at ericabelanger.com slash blog dash podcast and i write erica with a kit. there you'll find the instructions to leave a review but also all the information you might want to know about our guest today busy gold last episode bethany miller from suka yoga was giving out a 30 minute chakra healing session with her plus a 30 minute crystal bed session at the studio a value of 125 dollars there were a couple great comments left, but they can only be one winner. And the winner of that giveaway is user Fan of Erica. Hmm, I like your name. Fan of Erica wrote, Wonderful interview and compelling introduction to John of God and spiritual healing. Thank you. See, it's that simple. Thank you, Fan of Erica, for your comment. And email me at Erica.bilanger at gmail.com or DM me on Instagram and I'll pass on your info to Bethany. Once again, thank you for joining us and until next time.